0: Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rock Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon B.K. Kylie. and this is Before the Box Score. This is your post-Georgia edition of the game, uh, or the podcast for the game. Missouri loses. It happened. However, Missouri actually made a game out of it. Georgia 26, Missouri 22. Missouri led for almost the entire game. So it was a game that... Eli Drinkwitz was eligible to win because he was at home and also he was leading at halftime, but the Tigers couldn't close it out. George, remember, they had a lot of athletes in the ground game and just went ground and pound and close it out and they won. Uh, BK, how are you doing?
2: Uh, I'm doing well. I'm doing better today than I was yesterday. Um, I was, it, it's such a weird thing, Nate, and this is fandom, right? Like I, I went into that game and I tweeted this out before I asked the question what is more likely Missouri's offense or Georgia's defense slash special team scores more points in this game. And like that, that's where my head was at. And so I went into it, assuming like a oh, full disclosure, I read the five takeaways. And so if there's like a blowout, I can get started on my writing before the game is over. So I was like, ah, this is going to be a nice one. I'll get to halftime and basically have my piece written. Like it'll be ready to go. So I don't have to worry about it. Cause it's a night game. like, get to do whatever I want with the rest of my night, right? Nope, not this one. (laughs) And it was for good reasons. Like, Missouri had a real shot in that game, and I was unprepared for that, and I became emotionally invested in a way that, again, I was unprepared for. And I gotta be honest, it was just really fun to root for Mizzou against a very good team in what appeared to be, and I wasn't at the game, but for any of you listening that maybe were in Columbia last night, uh, we're recording this on Sunday— If you were at that game, I have to imagine it was one of the more fun environments to be in because all of this was found money. None of it was expected. Everybody probably went to that game expecting to see a blowout. Maybe you go to Harpo's afterwards, have a good time, tailgate on Columbia, whatever. And then you get in about a quarter, you get to halftime, you're like looking around at all your buddies. You're saying to yourself like, is this really going to happen? Like, are they actually going to be able to pull this thing off? And it was almost a really special night in Colombia, So it was a lot of fun. I come away more positive than negative, given the results, obviously. But I, I think there's stuff to talk about on both sides of things. So I'm ex- excited to expand on that with you tonight.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I famously did not watch the game. Uh, I tweeted it out last night. I When the game started, I had a toddler in the bathtub and when I checked a uh, quick score with uh, with a text thread of mine, I was like, well, I can't, I can't jinx this. So I kindly stepped aside, ate some wings, uh, watched Stranger Things season four and played some <laughs> Trombone Champ. Uh, and, then, and then it was done. BK was keeping me up to date on what was happening. I got to live vicariously through his emotional text outburst, which was fantastic. <laughs> uh, no context text, emotional text outbursts are the way to watch a game. I'll tell you that. So I I watched through it today. I've been tracking it today kind of periodically, uh, and and I've I basically watched the entire thing. I'm I'm at the fourth quarter uh, when Georgia starts putting it down. So here's the thing, BK, and, and we were just talking about this. So I'll, i I'll just repeat my point. It's not so much that this game went different from a game script, uh, an execution standpoint for either the offense or the defense. The difference is the outcome of those schemes and, and those plays. And on, in this instance, Missouri was not efficient at all, which we knew going in, that was not going to be the case. One of my key keys to this game was that Missouri had to find explosive plays and boy, did they Georgia gives some to you? Not a lot, but some and Missouri took them when they had them. And then on the other side, with Blake Baker, that havoc actually created some turnovers that they were able to capitalize on and give them some good field position. So it wasn't that Missouri played differently is that the outcomes were a little bit different against the number one team in the nation, which played like dog crap for about 43 minutes and then shut it down and started running on a, on a, on a gas defense who didn't have anybody left. Uh, so I guess the, the positive thing here is that Missouri doesn't have to get crazy to hang with a team. We saw their max where they're hitting big plays where the defense is turning the ball over exploding them in the backfield putting them in good field position. That's kind of the max of what this team is going to be. The men is what we saw in Manhattan where none of that, none of that works. So BK, I, I guess my big thing is that Missouri just played their game and it worked. And I,
2: that's good. It is. Yeah. Like I think the biggest takeaway from last night, let's start with the good, right? we'll, we'll get to the bad eventually, but the good is Missouri's defense is legitimate. Blake Baker is a good defensive coordinator. He has a clear identity The transfer process that they had in the offseason, it worked like Joseph Charleston is a good player. Tyron Hopper, I think you can make an argument, was the best player on the field yesterday. And that was against the number one team in the country. That's saying a lot. Uh, I, I think for the first half, at least Christian Williams just. He reset the line of scrimmage on seemingly every mm-hmm. snap that he was involved in. Jaden Jernigan, you look at the stat sheet, it's not going to jump out at you, but he made some plays as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This The transfers that they brought in to make a difference defensively have. The fact that Martez Manuel is playing where he should be playing, which is in the box more often than not, is a big deal you now have Trajan Jeffcoat and Isaiah McGuire who were your best defensive linemen last year but they were essentially on an island out there and then they were having to play like 70% of the snaps now you can have a little bit of a rotation so they're fresh and you have interior pass rushers so they have help and those guys look even better as a result so uh, long story short your defense is real And it's not a top like 10 unit in college football. Nobody was expecting that to be the case, though. You have a defense that can step up when needed, and when they're playing really inspired football and are able to create havoc on the other side of the ball, man, what you saw on Saturday night against Georgia is what you're going to get. So as you project forward here and you look at the schedule upcoming, that's going to give you a chance. We talked last week, and I'm much more positive on the outlook of this team today than I was previously because I really didn't know how legit this defense was. You look at what they did against K-State, and that's concerning. You look at what they did against Auburn, you're like, okay, that, that was good, but it's Auburn, and I don't really believe in that offense. Georgia's real. So doing it against them makes me feel like you at least have an opportunity to slow down Florida. You have an opportunity to look good defensively against South Carolina. We'll see what happens against Arkansas. But those are the games that that now become more interesting to me than they were, you know, 48 hours ago. So this defense, if you're looking big picture, what happened on Saturday that changes the trajectory of the season, it's that. You now have a real defense that could be like a top 35, top 40 unit. And that's going to keep you in some games that I don't know that they would have been in otherwise.
0: The other guy who looked like one of the best on the field who actually didn't get to finish the mm-hmm. game is Dominic. Lovett. That guy was finding holes in the Georgia secondary. I couldn't believe it. And not only that, but Brady cook was hitting them, which was, which is even better. The fact that he missed the second half Really was one of the key aspects of, to Missouri's offense grinding down and just not being able to, to to hang for the last thirty minutes of the game. When he was out there, it was just a complete difference maker. He was targeted seven times, had six catches for eighty four yards. He had a thirty six yarder that really started, get, just got everything going, and and he was, again, he is a sophomore. And he was he was fighting holes in the in the Georgia second. The Georgia secondary. All right. The the national champion, one of the best defenses out there. He was finding space and making moves and making things happen. So it, obviously the, the game did not come down to the fact that he was not on the field. There's there's you know 21 other players who had to make a difference, 24 if you're counting special teamers. But like that was such a huge difference from first half to second half. It, it's there's no point in, in, in chasing the, the butterfly wings and, and figuring out what would happen in the second half. But regardless of what that would have been, he was awesome on Saturday and and really the key reason why Missouri made such a huge leap uh, in the first couple of minutes.
2: Nate, here's a little trivia for you. People that are listening right now, whether you're in your car, you're at home, wherever you may be, you can play along with Nate Edwards. How many Missouri wide receivers over the last 20 years do you think had more receiving yards in their first five games than Dominic Lovett has in his first five games of this season? So an individual season, first five games of the year, Dominic Lovett has 460 yards thus far. How many Mizzou wide receivers since 2000 do you think had more than that in their first five games of the season? Two. Three. Mm. Can you name them?
0: Uh, Emmanuel Hall.
2: Nope. Oh, Jamon Moore nope
0: ah jeremy Macklin. they're close
2: they're both on the list they're at 450 and 430 okay. jeremy macklin is one of them 2008 had 480 yards in his first five games
0: okay jared perry
2: no but he is close he had 450 yards Jeez, the first five man,
0: games. i'm running out of okay um
2: i think you're kind of on the right track
0: let me hear let me hear what the other ones were
2: Justin Gage, 2002. Ooh, yeah. He had the highest on this list, 512 yards through the first Damn, five games. Justin, And then TJ Moe in 2010 had 479 yards in his no first way. five games. Really? So Dominic Lovett is now fourth on this list. How about wow. that? Wow!
0: Way to go, Dom. Hey, Luther, work yeah. out with Dom in the offseason. It's going to work wonders for your game, man.
2: By the way, Macklin, TJ Moe, Dominic Lovett, all sophomores on this list. So it like I think this is one of the reasons we said this last week and it continues to be the case. The reason why you shouldn't be freaking out at all about Burden's quote unquote lack of production is what we're watching right now from Love It. You're going to see something like this next year from Burden where it just is like, whoa, that guy was really good last year. This looks different Mm -hmm. because he's in a weight program for an entire year. He's around the coaching staff for an entire year. All they should work on with Burden in the offseason is just his releases. Mm -hmm. And you watch Dominic Lovett, man. That guy is so much more polished as a wide receiver today than what he was when he came in last year. He's already had more receptions than he had last year by one in 300 more yards than he had last season. Yeah, no I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous. So uh, he's, but to to get to the point on Lovett, that, that guy's awesome, man. Missouri has mm-hmm. two bonafide stars on its football team right now. Dominic Lovett is one of them, and the other is Tyron Hopper.
0: Just need a couple other guys to get to him. <laughs> you have some options, man. They can't be the only ones. And and luckily, mm. Hopper is is kind of your 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 boomstick on a on a unit that's full of dudes that can rotate in and out. Really, it's love it that needs some help. And and whether that's, you know, it's just kind of everywhere. Off, offensive line, quarterback, running back, you just need something. Uh, at this point, he is a violin virtuoso in a jug band. And, wow, he can knock it out of the park. But everyone else is certainly not up to snuff. So, you know, we'll see what happens. For now, against Georgia, it was enough to hang for about 30 minutes. The offense kind of got stuffed into a locker in the second half. But that's okay. Okay. That was expected to happen, and they did much, much, much better than anybody anticipated heading into this game. The other thing that really stood out to me just from watching this game is that the difference between Missouri and Georgia is that Georgia just has more dudes. And that seems is probably a very reductive statement and doesn't really help us, but let me give you a specific instance here. Tate Ratledge was Georgia's – uh one of the, his, their interior offensive linemen. He uh, – had a penalty called against him and he whiffed on one on one block. What did they do? Well, they just took him out and put him out and put somebody else in. And they got better. And that's really the difference between an elite recruiting team and a team that recruits like Missouri, where you have you have a one line. That's probably your best guys and they're really good and they can hang for a good amount of time with other talented football players. It's what happens when you have, well, let's say an injury like what happened to Dom Lovett, or you have a guy who's in a funk like Georgia had with Tate Ratledge. Well, they just take him out and put another guy in who's just as good. <laughs> with Missouri, it was, well, um, see, I guess we got to circle the wagons, and I got we got to we got to bunker down a little bit and like it just they didn't have enough guys to fight. And that's not to downplay the guys they do have because wow, they put up a hell of a fight. But that is the difference in recruiting. That is what Drinkwitz is trying to do with these recruiting classes. Now it's getting them seasoned, getting them experienced. So you get to the point where you just, you know, just continue to trot out talented guys and not really lose a beat. Georgia was able to do that and it paid off in the fourth quarter. Missouri was was not able to do that.
2: Yeah, and this is what we talked about when Missouri first got to the SEC, right? Like, you look back at that 2012 team. Like, that was the old man football versus grown man football thing. And Missouri in that game, if you go back and watch it, they were able to compete with Georgia for quarter, maybe even a half. You get to the second half and it's over. They just had too many dudes. They were rotating guys. They had... Guys that were fresh coming in in the third and fourth quarter, and Missouri lost a couple of guys, and it's over. Like it's just they they don't have the depth to be able to make up for it. And the same is true ten years later. Georgia's just deeper, and Georgia's also just significantly better than the team that came to town in 2012. I I, I respect the hell out of what Missouri was able to do in this game. I mean, they deserve a ton of credit for even keeping this thing close because they were completely outmanned. And once once you have Dom Lovett go out you you really had no chance offensively. And so you were able to create a couple of big plays. You had the Cody Schrader play, had a couple of plays by Nate Pete, where he's able to get things going. And then in the passing game, really all you had in the second half was that one big play to Mookie Cooper. And that's kind of it. And you nearly were able to make that into an upset over the number one team in the country. That is an accomplishment. That being said... Nate, we do also have to talk about the downside as to why they weren't able to pull off the upset. Because again, I want to say this very clearly because I have been pessimistic over the last couple of weeks and that has come through on our podcast. We've gotten tweets about it. Mm -hmm. I don't apologize for any of that. That is what this team deserved was pessimistic outlook based on the way that they had been performing. This week is different. They deserve a more optimistic tune. So that's what we started with. However, when you go into the... Let's start with right before halftime that drive. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Because I think there were, there were two things about the way that that drive ended that were very frustrating for me. One was the false start. And we know under Eli Drinkwitz, there has been at times a lack of discipline. Now, that's not to suggest that there's like guys getting arrested or anything like that. No, no, no. I'm, t- I'm talking about on the field during the game. The penalties have been a problem for Mizzou, and that was a really, really bad time to have a false start penalty at home on first down after you just had a 63 yard gain to get you down to the one yard line. You're on the cusp of going up 20 to three against the number one team in the country, And if you're able to punch it in there, you got a real chance to be able to do something special. A field goal there, though, lets Georgia back into the game. You get the false start. It's first and six from the six yard line. So first and goal from the six. You run right up the gut with Cody Schrader for a yard. Then to the short side of the field, you run a pitch on second and goal from the five. And then on third and goal from the four, you ran a play that never had a chance. I understand some will say like, hey, he, he had him open there for a minute. No, that play was never going to work against that defense in that area of the field. Just didn't have a chance not going to Toski Dove. And this is not a shot against Toski, but like he just can't create separation that quickly against those defensive backs. So they weren't going to be able to convert that. It never had a chance. And I think Eli probably knew that after the fact. So you're kicking a field goal from the four yard line to go up 16 to three. And instead of it potentially being a three score game, now it's still a two score game. They end up coming back. They score a field goal going into the half. And it just kind of feels like that was a breath of fresh air for Georgia, where they felt like they were still in it. That's where I think Missouri lost the game. Nate, what was your impression of that drive?
0: That one in particular, uh, very similar. It was... You had you had an opportunity, and I know what he wanted to do. He wanted to get up to the line quickly and then just you know either Brady or Schrader just mush it over the line. That's that's all he wanted to do. And that the false start puts you back five yards. Now you can't do that. Now you actually actually have to run offensive plays, which up to that point and after that point, Georgia proved you can't just run offensive plays on us. You gotta find the explosive player, or else you're not gonna get anything. So you're not you're who are by definition not getting an explosive play on the six yard line so you have to block well you have to scheme well and Drinkwitz was not able to do that against against this georgia defense so yeah like running up the middle or or stupid pitch to the short side like of course that's what he's going to do that's what he always does when he gets scared it's it's that drive in particular yes i mean you you texted me the second it happened you said hey if Missouri win, loses this game, remember that sequence right there. And you were right. And and it looked bad on, on on the replay, and you knew it from the second that it happened. It was, like you said, it was a breath of fresh air, and it let Georgia off the hook. And who knows what happens? Again, the butterfly wings flapping. Who knows? But four more points in a game that you lost by four, that that makes a difference.
2: It it was just that was when I first started saying to myself, like for, in the first half, I allowed myself to go there. Nate, I allowed myself to be like, oh, it's the Oklahoma game all over again. Like weird stuff is happening. Uh, Missouri is playing better than anybody expected them to. Georgia is allowing Missouri to get some of these big plays like this is just it's setting up in a way where weird stuff might be brewing in Columbia. And then they got stopped on that drive, and I was like, "Oh, oh no, yeah. oh no! This this is when it goes poorly." So there was that one, and then there was the one. I want to say it was in the fourth quarter, with like four minutes to go, something like that. Um, Mizzou is driving, and I. This is another one that was was frustrating for me um Drinkwood said after the game that they were trying to do a two for one oh, which basically yeah. means it, he thinks that he's going to get an opportunity to get two possessions and anybody watching that game i i believe at least probably knew in that moment if missouri punts the ball here they're not getting the ball back so here's where it was it was 403 missouri gets the ball back they go out there with a pass to luther burden a pass to Toski dove a pass to Barrett Bannister, boom, third and 10, punt the ball back to Georgia, and it's over. Georgia just bleeds the clock out. At that point, your defense was exhausted. Uh, you look at what they were doing over the last couple. It was the first time that Georgia had really like sustained drives, was in their last two drives. I I I just hated, A, the play calling, B, the way that they went about it in what clearly was at the time. They were trying to get a two for one. I, I didn't think that that was going to work. And then see punting it back to Georgia when you knew if I give the ball back to them right now, it's it's not coming back to Mizzou. So I was frustrated by that as well. And I think that's just that's the way Drinkwitz plays. That's the way he manages the game is he's super conservative and he's Mm going to go by the book in that spot. And I I just don't like that personally.
0: I mean, really, it was it was a trend. Big play penalty throws you all out of whack. Go back to seven minutes back in the first quarter, seven minutes and 41 second mark. Missouri gets the ball to 46. Big pay to play to Lovett, 13 yards, rush up to the field. And then the next play is holding by Javon Foster. Okay, well, that's fine. Still early in the drive. Then you got an incomplete to Burden. Then you connect with Lovett on that 25-yarder, which was great. Mm-hmm. Run up to the run up to the line of scrimmage. You're on Georgia 24. Go, 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 go. False start, Connor Wood. And then what? Well, you throw a little little thing to Cooper for 5 and then Love gets blown up for 3, and then Burden only gets 3 back and then you got a field goal. Like it was the penalties after the big plays when you try to rush up to the, the line and run another play and at home you should be able to be, you know, calm, collected. Yes, the hurry up is kind of by nature riling you up, but you're doing that to get the to get the jump on the defense, not to get the jump on the play. So you had a couple of those, and certainly the second one was really the one where you're like, you could have built such a lead, such a, de- a demoralizing lead uh, for for Georgia, and you just didn't do it. And we get back to the same thing that's been just the bugaboo of the Drinkwitz regime, well, one of them, for the, for the past three years, which is finishing your dang drives. Mm-hmm. Missouri had five. I said in my preview, you Missouri will probably get five or six scoring opportunities. A scoring opportunity, again, is defined by crossing the opponent's 40-yard line. I said you need to average 6.5 if you're going to beat this team. What did they do? They had five scoring opportunities, and they were kicking five field goals. Now they got a touchdown out of one of them. I will give them credit to that. That was a very cool play. Great design from, from Eli Drinkwitz on that one to get Tyler Stevens open uh, for that touchdown. But again, you're asking Meevis to knock out 50-yard field goals instead of getting creative <laughs> once you cross the 40-yard line. You cannot kick field goals and beat Georgia. Now you almost did, but you didn't. And you lost by four when you could have gotten four more points. Like, these are the things I'm talking about. This is the stuff that you go, Eli says after the game, "Ah, I get in bunker mode and I got to change. And he doesn't change. And that's something that has to happen. And maybe he doesn't think he has the quarterback. Maybe he doesn't think he has the athletes. You can list whatever you want to say. Uh, after you know all every game that we have going through this, but the point is, is that either because he doesn't trust his players or because he has a Harrison mevis he he likes to kick the field goal more than he should, and this was one of those games that did him in for that, as well as a couple others. I don't know when we get to the point where it's okay for the offense to get creative in scoring opportunities, but we just have not seen it yet.
2: And. Again, to be fair, like one of those opportunities, they did get creative and it worked like it. It it was a great throw, a great design, a great catch. And that was the Stevens touchdown on the the right side of the field. If you're watching the far side of the field, It, it was excellent. Like that's that is exactly what Nate is talking about. Like, for example, if you're a Missouri fan and a Chiefs fan or if you just watch the NFL, Watch what the Chiefs do in the red zone. None of it is by the book. None of it. They have Patrick Mahomes and all of their stuff is super weird with a bunch of formations. They've got tight ends that are taking shovel passes tonight against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as we're watching this game. They had a tight end that went under center out of motion and took a quarterback sneak. Like that's that's just weird stuff that you've got to do in the red zone. Because everything gets so condensed down there. The windows get so small for your quarterback. The holes are so much more difficult to blow through for your running back. Like there is just, there's not the same ability to create space. And so you have to find other unique ways to do that. And I I gave Drinkwoods a lot of credit at the time. And I still believe he deserves it now for the play that he was able to design that scored them that first touchdown. The problem was that was it. Like th- There was no follow-up to that. No. And the best coaches, the best offensive minds, are the ones that can have that first play. And then now, and maybe it's next week that we'll see another one off of that design, but it, there should be more. There should be three or four of those. There should be a couple of two-point plays that they've got ready to go. There should be stuff from, for example, the four-yard line, the five-yard line when you get a false start on First and goal from the one that you can go to that you say, okay, we basically have because of the end zone plus the five yards that we are away from the end zone right now. We have 15 yards of space to work with because that is now a back boundary as well. What do we have that can use that 15 yards of space to our greatest advantage? And it just seems like a lot of the time Mizzou doesn't have that stuff readily available to them. And it makes it really hard on this offense. And that was the case with Connor Bazelak. We saw what the numbers were with him as a quarterback in the red zone. And it continues to be the case now. I know that Brady Cook and Bazelak, like they've got some similarities in terms of what their deficiencies are, especially when it comes to the deep passing game. But in the red zone, that shouldn't be the case. And especially with Brady as a runner, you should be able to find some design stuff that is interesting with him.
0: You're not going to be able to do uh, an Andy Reid deep dive in college. You don't have the time to do that. But I understand the concept there. It's not that they don't practice this stuff. The first practice, the first fall practice back in August where the media were still there, what were they doing? They were running red zone offense. (laughs) That's clearly something that they work Mm -hmm. on. It's that the stuff they have stinks or it's predictable or it can't be X. Ex- I don't know what it is. Something on there. It's, it's not working. You had the really cool, like I said, the really cool pass to Tyler Stevens where they ran that, that the, the same look of a, of a really quick bubble screen uh, to the slot receiver, which we've seen time and time again. The tight end drifts over to make the block, and this time he just just kept going, and he was wide freaking open. That is exactly what Eli Drinkwitz loves to do. Give you a look, 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 look. It's the same, 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 and then, no, oh, it's different. And he just doesn't, he doesn't have anything else to build off that. Now, again, credit to Georgia. Missouri wasn't able to establish any effective efficiency play. Like they weren't getting three or four yards, they were getting zero, 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 incomplete, incomplete, and then a big 23 yarder or a 35 yarder. There was no rhythm to this offense. They really couldn't build any looks into it because Georgia was snuffing it out. I get that. This isn't just a problem specific to this game, though. He hasn't been doing this all year, and he hasn't been doing all three years, and that's why it's a problem. So whatever it is, whatever their red zone packages are, they need to work on them. They need to get better. And again, I don't know where that starts. Clearly, they practice it. We know they practice it, but it's got to be something different especially when you're growing up against Georgia. Cause I mean, it's, it's, it's not any easier in the sec. You got to have something that you're comfortable with. That works. That's good. That's built off of something else because it, we got three years of data. that says they stink in the red zone.
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: the, the other thing, like I just went back and looked at this to see what the fourth downs were when they kicked their field goals. Uh, sometimes there are situations where I will say after the game, I wish they would have gone for it instead of kicking the field goal. That wasn't necessarily the case in this game and I'll get to like what the actual problem was here in a second, but it was fourth and nine, fourth and 18, fourth and four, fourth and 14 and fourth and nine again. So of the five times in which they settled for a field goal, four of them were fourth and nine or longer. The one that was fourth and four was fourth and four from the four. So it was the fourth and goal uh, situation that they had. I don't necessarily think that they should have gone for any of those, but Nate, I think this is also part of what you're getting to as well. Missouri's, issue on fourth downs or their aggressiveness there it's also part of the issue with their first second and third down play yeah. calling they're all connected yeah. you, you you can't separate the two because if you're not going to go for it on fourth down or it, let's put a different one if they were willing to go for it on fourth down i think some of their first second and third down play calling is different especially late in a game if you're willing to be aggressive and you know going into a drive, hey. If it's 4th and 4 or less, we're going for it. Well, then on 3rd and 7, your play calling completely changes. Because now, instead of doing everything you can to get to the sticks, if you get 5 yards, that's fine. Because we're going for it on 4th and 2. And now we've just given ourselves a more manageable 4th down situation. So, I think that's part of it as well. Is just The play calling in and in and of itself, it, it is dictated by what you're aggressiveness threshold is once you get to that fourth down situation. Yeah.
0: Well, it's like I said, Missouri didn't play a, a game that was completely out of their, their wheelhouse. It was very much in their wheelhouse, it, obviously a flip between efficiency versus explosiveness, but that's kind of what the Georgia defense allows you to do. It's that it worked and <laughs> worked really well against the number one team. And then you just kind of ran out of gas towards the end. So Here's my question, BK. I've, I've been thinking about this all day. And again, I wasn't watching it live, so I have a little bit of an emotional removal from this thought process. And maybe at this <laughs> point you do too. Would your opinion of this team be any different if Missouri actually won last night? And by that I mean, does this performance do enough to turn around your opinion? Or if w- was winning that game put you even more over and feel a little bit more optimistic about the season.
2: So you're saying like, if they had pulled this out, would I feel differently about what the rest of the year looks would like,
0: would you feel dip more positive than you do currently right now? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I want to make sure I want to make sure
2: results matter, man. I would have felt better about Mizzou last week. If they had just held on to the football in the final play of the game, like in the end, this thing's about racking up W's and in the, When we do what we do, does it matter how the wins happen? Does it matter, like, for example, against Auburn? I think it was Missouri had a 93% chance to win. And based on the Bill Connolly, like play by play data and whatnot. Does it matter if they are able to pull that one out as opposed to against Georgia? I don't know what the end win expectancy was. I would have to imagine it's going to be pretty heavily in favor of Georgia because of the way that they had dominated of the yardage and everything. I, yeah. Like the, the win at Auburn would have been, if they pulled it out, would have been a more sustainable way to win than what they were in, ended up doing against Georgia. So I say, all well, let's say this. Does it matter that they lost those two games? Yes. <laughs> and that does influence how I feel about this team because against Auburn, That's a road game that Missouri has shown repeatedly. They just find ways to lose against Georgia. They had every opportunity to find a way to pull out a huge upset and they didn't act like they were the underdog. I think Mm -hmm. that's what makes me so frustrated about their play calling and the way that they handled, especially late game situations in that one. Nate, if you're that, you were a 30 point underdog. You have nothing to lose. I mean, nothing. Just go for it, dude. Blake Baker, (laughs) from start to finish in that game, basically said with his play calling, with his actions, not his words, bleep it. Yeah, We're going for it. And if they end up getting a bunch of big plays on us, so be it. I don't care. That's likely to happen either way. But we are sending the house. I don't know what the end end result was in terms of the number of zero blitzes that they sent, but it was a hell of a lot of
0: noticeable. Yeah.
2: It, and when you're Blake Baker and you're doing that with that defense, man, I wish they had an offense to pair with it yeah. because it, it would essentially be like playing the fastest 40 minutes of hell, you know, and they just, they didn't do that. They, they seemingly were not playing complimentary football yesterday. They had an offense that was playing one style and a defense that was playing another. And the defense gave the offense a chance. and The offense just wasn't willing to go ahead and meet that, meet that offer. Yeah. But how to to answer your question? Sorry, I went on a long winded diatribe okay. there. But
0: that's what you do. It's good.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it how would it change your outlook for the rest of the season if instead of losing at the very end, they held on to the ball against Auburn and they win that in overtime, twenty to seventeen, and against Georgia instead of cowering in the final moments, they end up getting aggressive. And on that that last drive, they score a touchdown as time expires. How would that change your outlook for the season?
0: I, see, I, I don't want to fall into this trap, this trap that people who like advanced analytics get into, where it's the, well, you didn't watch the game. You're just looking at a piece of paper, you know, like I understand that you have to get wins. I understand that watching the game, you can see that, you know, oh wow, they're, they're totally out, man, or like you know they played really well for 30 minutes and then it fell apart. I do care about how you get to that point and and for the record, I want to get I want to say this out loud first. Georgia's uh, Missouri's postgame win expectancy against Georgia was eleven percent. So no, they did okay. not play well enough to win. okay? I understand that. But at the same time, like I said, they didn't do anything different. If you if you pull if 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 Harrison Mavis doesn't shank it right and Missouri is able to, you know, either convert late uh and uh, and hold on to the ball and score, or get one of those early touchdowns and, and and pull it out. But but just pull it, pull it out whatever way. And all of a sudden you're sitting here going, Oh, okay, they're four and one. What what about this team makes you feel confident going for other than the W's, right? Other than the wins, which I understand is the point of the game. But they played this, you know, slop it up kind of football style. And it means that, you know, regardless of whether you won or not, you were close with a terrible Auburn team. And then you turn around and you beat the, you know, a really good Georgia team. You're talking about your variances here. And the variance of this team is super wide. And they can be in positions where they can win and then they gack it away anyway.
2: So it's not going to say... I actually think I have an answer to what you're saying, though. Okay, let me hear it. I think the reason why it would change the way that I feel about this team is because of the way that I now feel about the SEC East. I don't think Florida is that good. I know Vanderbilt's not very oh, good. I see what I'm said. pretty sure at this point I know South Carolina's okay. not very good, and I think Arkansas we might have gotten out gotten out over our skis on how good they are as well. And so if you had just simply racked up those four wins already and you're four and one, I'm now looking at the outlook for the rest of the year as well, and I'm saying Florida's winnable. Like I'm not they they will not and should not be favored in that game. Uh, they're a ten point underdog last I checked. I think I like Missouri with the points on that one. I know it's on the road, mm-hmm. but I think they they should be able to keep that one within 10 points. Mm-hmm. Vanderbilt should be a win. South Carolina is on the road. I'm not sure what the line will be in that game, but I would probably have it pretty close to a pick And then New Mexico State, you'll win. Arkansas at home, I think is winnable, even though I probably feel about that the same way that I feel about Florida on the road. Where it's like, Arkansas will and should be favored but could Missouri win that one in a weird game? Yeah, they could. And if you were already four and one and then weird stuff happens and you end up winning all of those winnable games, you're a nine win football team by the end of the year. And are you any different in terms of the quality of team? No, but a nine win season feels totally different than what they're now eligible for, which Uh is a... Six, six to seven, seven win yeah. season. So like, this is all about process versus results. I get that. That's kind of the conversation that we're having without actually saying that's what it is, but the results do eventually well, matter. Results
0: make you feel better. Right? Like I understand.
2: Yeah. yeah. And, and, and for coaches, the results are what gets you hired or fired. Right. Are they any different in terms of the quality? When you look at SP plus, are they going to be one of the luckier nine win teams in the country? Yeah, Absolutely. But do you know what I would prefer to be the luckiest nine win team as opposed to the unluckiest seven win team or the unluckiest five win team at the end of the year?
0: I get that. I'm just I'm sitting here thinking like, okay, so this is the style of football that we play. And the slop it up kind of football style. That's how we play. That means that every game you are in, whether it's a good opponent or a bad opponent, you're in it until the end. And so I'm not saying that's what 2014 Missouri was, but like I never felt confident about 2014 Missouri.
2: Oh, that was definitely what they were.
0: <laughs> I, felt, I felt confident about 2013. Yeah. 2014 was boom, explosive plays or nothing on offense, and then one of the most mm-hmm. suffocating defenses have you've ever seen. And it helped them, you know, in a couple of tight games. They also got shut out. <laughs> they also got
2: <laughs> demolished. Like, in one of the worst football games I've ever seen by Mizzou. I mean, that 34 to nothing game yeah. against Georgia, I will never forget it.
0: So, like, I never felt good about that team. I never went into a game going, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll probably win this. I felt that about 13 because they could do a lot of different things. 14 was a one trick pony. Yeah. So, I, I, I wouldn't, and this is getting back to the crux of my question. I would love Georgia to beat Georgia again and finally you know, beat the bullies. And yet yeah, I'm going to start talking like, okay, maybe we win the sec East. I don't know. Like you start feeling those feelings and that feels a lot better than, you know, Oh, Hey, moral victory. But at the same time, the, the style of this team does not change. And so they're just going to be in these rock fights all year where you could either win or lose just depending on your kicker and you know, the bounce of a weird ball. So it would not have changed my, I don't think my, my optimism level all that much. If they had, if the same game had been played Missouri won versus what we got in the result that we got, I would still feel like, well, <laughs> I don't know. But the point is this style can, can take down the number one team, which is pretty cool. We just don't know which Missouri is going to show up. I still feel that way. And we didn't get the dub. Okay. So like that, I, that's yeah. why I bring it up. And maybe that's again, maybe I'm just a broken brain here, but I mean, let's go through, I'm, I'm looking at it right now, right now. if If you were to, Missouri, I think, is a 10.5 underdog at Florida. Vanderbilt, they're favored by 17. South Carolina, they're like, I think South Carolina's a three-point favorite right now. Kentucky's about a touchdown favorite. Tennessee's 17 points. Missouri's favored by almost 34 against New Mexico State. And then Arkansas is a field goal game. Arkansas's favored by three. I don't think any of that changes whether you win or lose, but it's the quality. And the quality of this team's not there because it's a one-unit team. But yeah, it would have been Obviously, it's better to win than lose, but this team is still just kind of what it is at the end of the day.
2: I think we knew that, though, coming in, too, right? And I, I should say on the front end, you make all valid points. I think we're basically presenting the two viewpoints that are possible right now on Mizzou football. And like you you just look at K-State, that's the outlier. And then the rest of the season is kind of in line with everything that we're talking about right now. M- Mizzou is, you, you mentioned this, basically Texas A&M. And I don't know if that makes you feel good or bad <laughs> as a Mizzou fan. Before the season, if I would have told you that, I think all of us would have felt really good about that. We would have taken it. We would be like, whoa, there must have been some real signs of progress. But people were way too high on Texas A&M. And I think Mizzou is what it is at this point. And that is a team that wants to make everything a rock fight. They kind of know who they are. They've got an awesome kicker, and that gives them a, clear and decided advantage going into every game and then you just you lean on your defense you hope you get a couple explosives and you see where the chips fall in the end and against teams that are more talented than you and auburn and georgia are both more talented than you the likelihood is it kind of ends up favoring their side of things the problem is a lot of the teams on your schedule are more talented than you Florida's more talented. Kentucky's more talented. Mm-hmm. Tennessee is more talented. Mm-hmm. Arkansas is more talented. And this goes back to your point on the recruiting, which is you just got to give it more time. And you hope that Drinkwitz is able to stack some of these classes on top of one another. And eventually, as you become the more talented team, hopefully in some of these games, maybe the luck starts to fall more towards your favor. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's going to be the case, but that's that's the hope. That is the hope. The other, the other concern is what happens after this year when some of those guys that you're now leaning hard on, and this is part of the, the good and the bad of the portal, the portal really saved them this year because your defense in one year was able to completely overhaul itself. But I don't think Tyron Hopper is going to be back next year. <laughs> no, no way. And are, do you have a replacement for him? I, yeah, I don't think so. Probably not. I don't think you can replace a guy like Tyron Hopper, frankly. He's one of the better linebackers that I've seen in college football this year. So that's the tough part is part of this identity is built upon almost kind of a house of cards in the long run Mm -hmm. of can this be repeated? Is this something that is sustainable in the long run? So. I basically gave you a reason to feel optimistic about the rest of the season for Mizzou (laughs) football and also feel somewhat pessimistic about the long term outlook of the team at the same time. So there's that. There you go. That's
0: kind of our specialty. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. How do you build long term success in the in the era of the portal? It's just recruit well every single year, I guess, is the answer. And then fill. Yes, develop,
2: identify, and develop. Right, it's the same thing as any pro sport. You draft and develop in the NFL. You draft and develop in Major League Baseball. That's where it has to come from. And then you supplement with free agency or with trades. Mm -hmm. And basically, trades for college football are the transfer portal. You're making trades every year of X number of guys are going to leave. Y number of guys are going to come in, and you hope the sum product of Y is greater than the sum product of X. And if it is. Did pretty well in the portal that year. Missouri did well in the portal this year. If it isn't, and there will be years where they don't do well, because that's just kind of how the math works sometimes, then it's gonna look bad. So
0: you gotta hope the guys you're developing don't go somewhere else in the meantime. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that's fun. How do I always how do I always bring it down? How do I it's incredible. I have a talent.
2: Missouri Missouri lost by four against the, the number one team. team in the country. It's incredible. And Nate's like, bah. It's <laughs> incredible. How do they I, should, I do it? They should have they been better. <laughs> Look, well, I'm the one that's saying and, and I get it, by the way. It, it's totally reasonable. Yeah, I get it. I, I really do. I'm the
0: one that's saying it would have made a difference. I still feel pretty good about the, the
2: season <laughs> yeah. going forward.
0: I just, I don't know. I'm just somehow I just I'm a I'm a big old poop. I don't know how I do it. You're a uh, broken man. I am broken. You're broken BK, man. give me something. Missouri
2: has done this to you.
0: Let's, let's close with a pot. What's your closing thought that's a positive? How how do we wrap this up positively?
2: Um. Okay. Let's think about the best way to frame this. If you're looking for a positive coming off of that game that we have not already discussed, I think it's probably that you saw such encouraging signs from the young guys. Like, I think that certain guys that we have been waiting on opportunities to see things from them, we're now starting to see it. Like Dom Lovett, we already mentioned earlier. Um, but I specifically go over to the defensive side of the ball. What you were able to see out of Wilson in this game, as a linebacker who didn't look out of place, and we didn't know what Missouri's linebacker depth looked like, Like literally mm-hmm. had no idea coming into the season because we hadn't seen any of them. He looks okay. Yeah. Now, he made. there were some plays in the game where it was like, oh... He, Not great pursuit there over pursuit on something else that's going to happen. He's young. He's a linebacker. That that stuff happens. But he was flying to the ball. He kind of looked like a mini in a weird way, just like the way that he's built uh, in the long hair that he has, like kind of looked like a mini Tyron Hopper at times. (laughs) It kind of confused the two of them, honestly, at times. So that was cool to see. Um, you look at Norwood, Drayden Norwood, I think, made a couple of plays in that game that really stood out to me. Uh, Dalen Carnell, I think every yeah. time he steps on the field, seems to be making big plays. So those would probably be the biggest things to me is just some of the guys that they've brought in over the last couple of years, especially on defense, they're they're starting to make plays and they're starting to see the field more often. And I hope we get to see more of them as the season goes along. Absolutely.
0: So that's the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. You can leave a comment or you can rate us. We love all types of feedback from you all. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Nate Edwards. He's at BK Sports Talk. And, of course, you can follow the Rockin' flagship at Rockin' Nation and listen to BK on the radio in St. Louis at 101 ESPN. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to be better next time. And until then,
2: I'm you